0: One, two, three,
1: four. Screen time. Screen
0: time. Screen time. time, It's my screen time, too. Screen
1: time. Screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time, too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah, And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And I
0: have three kids, Tony is 11, and Libby and Nate are eight. And our kids are so adorable, aren't they?
1: They are so adorable. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. My story this episode is a little bit of a follow up from our rapid lightning round of reviews. And also, I think I'd mentioned to you that my kids, because they can't talk while they're eating lunch in their COVID-protected classrooms, they watch a show. So Libby was telling me this morning about how her class has to watch Hero Elementary and how nobody likes it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why do they not like it? She
0: said it was weird. And once in a while, they get to watch Wild Kratz instead, and everybody likes that so much better.
1: oh,
0: So I felt out of touch with today's youth because I thought Hero Elementary was
1: decent. <laughs> I can see how it's less splashy. Yeah. Literally. So how Did about you get that your kids? Wild Kratts joke? Don't they like? <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> All right. So speaking of splashing, we've been spending a lot of time in the pool because I don't know if you know this, because I don't think Jeremy is a NASCAR fan, but Kevin definitely is a NASCAR fan. And every single weekend is NASCAR weekend. Like there is no break in this sport. It just goes on and on forever and ever. So recently on Sundays when NASCAR is going on, I've been playing in the pool a lot with the boys And Kenny is so fearless in the water, but he still wears a little puddle jumper. Do you know what a puddle jumper life vest is? Yeah,
0: I love those. Okay,
1: they're the like decorated ones that like strap around their back. So they don't look like traditional life vests. Um, But Kenny's new favorite thing is to jump into the water and like kind of swim over to me. But the way the puddle jumper is constructed It really magnifies any, like, belly flop splash that Kenny gets because it's just that big flat part in front. So he Mm -hmm. just slams into the water, and every time it is like a tidal wave, totally disproportionate to his size, just covers me in water no matter how far back I stand. So it's a lot. It's a lot of splashing mom in the pool lately, but it's still pretty cute. That sounds fun.
0: (laughs) Let's talk screen time in the news. You picked a good article this week from the New York Times written by Judith Werner. And the title is Parents Stop Talking About the Lost Year. And it's all about how parents are sort of feeding into the anxiety of middle schoolers who are having maybe the worst hard time in a pandemic year. And she goes into a bunch of different research studies um, that show that maybe the pandemic year doesn't have to be so bad, but she kind of puts it, puts the onus on the parents to change their attitudes. I learned a lot from this article, including that the adolescent middle school period is like second in terms of critical for critical. Coolness for brain development.
1: Yeah. To
0: zero to three. I did not know that.
1: I didn't know that either. I thought it was a really great reminder that even though it is such a critical point for social emotional development, that it's also a period of resilience. And I think that's something we could all stand to be reminded of because we've all been freaked out about how our kids are coping with this time. Yeah. Um, it taught one of the doctors
0: or researchers that warner interviewed essentially said that the adolescent brain is plastic (laughs) or or, like plastic (laughs) and even though it's been a hard year they will recover um but another thing that i need to keep in mind is that for kids who are home all the time doing zoom school their like safety net away from their parents is gone like they don't have teachers who give them the extra like emotional support and they don't have their friends to talk to about like what a drag their parents are <laughs> and my kids are a little bit younger but Tony's going to middle school next year so it had a lot of good takeaways for me as the parent of an almost middle schooler
1: Yeah, just a reminder of how important the social role of other people, other than just in their family, can be in a kid's life at that point. Yeah. And it did, to the extent that it talked about screen time, which granted was only tangentially, it did remind us that in a lot of ways, social media can be a saving grace for kids at this age during this year, because it is the way that they can keep in touch with their friends when they can't be together physically. Yeah. Totally. It did. Just unnecessary plug for something other than this article. Uh, It did remind me of this novel that I read like a million years ago, pre-pandemic, called Year of Wonders by Geraldine Brooks. Did you ever read it?
0: Mm -mm, No.
1: I'm exaggerating. It was probably 10 years ago that I read it, but it's about the plague and how the plague hits like a small village and essentially upends their entire year. And it's a year different from any other year, and they learn things, and it's obviously a horrible time, but they can't ignore how that year has changed them and changed their lives.
0: Interesting.
1: Worth a read if you're interested, although maybe wait until the pandemic is a little more in the rearview mirror, or it might bum you out.
0: Love in the Time of Cholera is something that's been on my reading list. For years. Yeah. But I might wait. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm the pandemic is over to read that. Too. That seems smart.
1: Well, I wanted to ask about follow up from last week's episode. Have you cooked anything with waffles and mochi or watched any waffles and mochi with your family since we talked about it?
0: Waffles and mochi did inspire me because we eat all our meals at home. I'm really tired of meal planning <laughs> uh-huh. and cooking. It did inspire me to go to the library and get some different books. I got a Mark Bittman book. Maybe the one you recommended to me. Was it it The
1: Minimalist?
0: No, it's published after that one. Okay. Got some like family recipe type cookbook. So I did feel inspired by waffles and mochi to not let up on someday my kids might try a vegetable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you remember how I said I was managing expectations and I wasn't even excited about like the vegetables? I was just excited about Jay trying rice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I went ahead and I made onigiri, which in the Waffles and Mochi episode, they show being made in Japan with like a father and his son, and it's adorable. They're making it together. So I made some because Jay had told me that he wanted to have the foods from the show around when we were watching the show. And it is literally just a ball of rice. I got the recipe from Samin Nosrat's salt, fat, acid, heat show from her website from that show and I made it according to directions it was pretty easy to my mind it turned out tasting good but Jay was like not interested at all so that was kind of an epic fail.
0: (laughs) That's a bummer and those looked fun to eat
1: too. How can you go wrong with a little handheld ball of rice?
0: It looks delicious to me.
1: And fun come on you're a kid eat the fun food. (laughs) All right, well, moving on to today's topic, we are discussing the new Disney Plus show, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. The first episode dropped on March 26th of 2021, again on Disney Plus, and they're releasing new episodes weekly. The episodes are about 30 minutes, although the pilot was longer, and it's a reboot of the original movie by the same creator, Stephen Brill. And the basic plot is that when he's cut from the powerhouse Mighty Ducks, Evan forms his own ragtag team called rather uninspiringly the Don't Bothers um, to focus on the joy of playing hockey instead of the cutthroat drive to win. And he's helped by his devoted mother, Alex, and only kind of reluctantly by reclusive ice rink owner gordon bombay who you may remember was played by emilio estevez in the original mighty ducks franchise so there's your tie-in why did we pick it i think it's safe to say 105 episodes in that we find it very <laughs> very hard to pass up a reboot of a beloved 90s property these things are made to tempt us and tempt us they do so we have to say yes <laughs> So we went ahead and watched the first three episodes, which as of this recording are the only three available. Episode one called Game On, episode two, Dusters, and episode three, Breakaway. And as usual, we'll go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, would you care to give us a quick summary of Game On? Yes. So in this episode, we're
0: introduced to all the characters, the tiger moms and their mighty ducks stars Evan and his mom who's not a tiger mom and then when he gets caught from the ducks and tries to build a just for fun team we begin to meet the scrappy kids who are going to make up the don't bothers
1: I can see in your face the fondness you already have for this little scrappy team (laughs) did you like them immediately I did I really like
0: Lauren Graham as a person as an actor I mean she always plays like a likable best friend type right
1: yeah I'm always rooting for her despite the fact that for me Gilmore Girls which is the role that I first came to know her in has not aged well but it, I'm still always rooting for her because of that show yeah
0: I love. I loved the best
1: friend Nick yeah <laughs> he's my favorite Oh my gosh. Well, he's made for us because he is a podcaster. <laughs> he's <is> co-host yes. <laughs> of the second most popular youth hockey podcast in the area, which I just loved Like because they can sustain two youth hockey podcasts. <laughs>
0: yeah. And of course, as someone who lives in Minneapolis, it's always thrilling to see a fictional version of your own city, especially when it's A favorable portrait of it.
1: (laughs) I can only imagine what that feels like. The uh, only fictional representation of our city I can think of is Jason from The Good Place. And if you've ever seen that show, you know that the depiction of our city is not necessarily favorable, though it is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So in episode two, Dusters, the Don't Fathers play their first game and lose badly, reminding their coach Alex Evans mom that the team can't just be about having a good time it also has to be at least a little bit about hockey what did you think of this follow-up to the pilot to to the to the pilot I
0: liked it I like the character development and I watched them all in a row so maybe this is from the first episode but when Evan and Nick are searching for a team like serendipitously uh Canadian boy from Toronto oh moves God. in across the street from Evan and he's like unloading all of his very expensive hockey equipment and they're like this is going to be so great and then they invite him to their practice and he can't
1: skate And the introduction of this character is the greatest. For anyone who's ever seen like a randy 80s like teen sex comedy, the way they introduce this boy has like the same slow-mo feel and like music cues as you would get when they were introducing the hot girl, because the whole thing about this boy is he has this amazing head of hair. And I just thought it was such a clever use of that trope.
0: Yeah, it was really cute. I enjoyed that a lot.
1: (laughs) I thought it was interesting because they're trying to set up Gordon Bombay as this like crotchety ice rink owner who hates hockey. So clearly we're, Meant to understand that something drastic has happened since the last Mighty Ducks movie, Mighty Ducks 3, uh, from then until now to make him totally hate hockey, even though he owns an ice rink. But there was this moment of thawing at the end of the pilot where in order to coach the don't bothers, Alex has to prove to Gordon that she can skate. So he, like, <laughs> makes her reenact a dance routine or a skating routine that she had done as a teenager. And it's, like, this cute moment where he is bonding with her and you can see, like, the <laughs> the ice melt between them. But then in the second episode, they kind of rewound to try and make Gordon crotchety again. I think they're trying to stretch out the whole, oh, Gordon doesn't want to help. He hates hockey. They're trying to stretch it out, which feels totally unnecessary because we all know where this is going, right? They're going to date, right? It feels that way, but like more on the nose, he's going to coach the team.
0: Obviously. Right? Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Why else would you do a Mighty Ducks reboot? Yes, exactly. Emilio
1: Estevez. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to episode three so we can hurry up and get to our general thoughts. Okay, so in episode three, Breakaway,
0: Evan finally recruits his friend Sophie, who is a good player on the Mighty Ducks, but can now be the star of the Don't Bothers. And Gordon Bombay finally helps out. He takes Coach Alex's playbook aside and scribbles a really silly play that helps the don't bothers get their first goal. It involves like a player falling on the puck and then they sneak it to the other side of the goalie. It would never work in real life, but it was very comedic on screen. (laughs)
1: It was funny to watch, but if you saw the page in the notebook, it was like one hastily scribbled diagram. And I was like, how did she infer this very complicated play from that one diagram? I don't know. <laughs> we also find out the details between... Wow. The details behind why Gordon hates hockey. and The explanation I found from an adult perspective to be somewhat hilarious Because the trajectory, they say, is he coaches the Mighty Ducks to such renown that he goes pro, but he is very quickly injured. So he goes from there to building a wildly successful college program. And then he really stupidly breaks the obvious NCAA rules about paying players, which I think... Deborah, you and I, even with our small knowledge, recognize to be pretty dumb rules, but just the fact that you and I know them means that, like, a coach of a team would probably have the knowledge necessary to know that he shouldn't be doing that. True. I
0: read deeper into it and I felt like it was a little bit of a commentary on how hockey is kind of an elitist sport because it is so expensive and there is a lot of like good arguments for paying college players because like division one athletics bring in so much money to Mm -hmm. universities and players get a scholarship when they're essentially employees who are earning tons of money for a university. And I kind of appreciated that about Gordon Bombay's characterization that he would bend the rules to buy some stick tape.
1: It for just one seems of his players. like if you're going to consciously bend those rules, which we have to assume that he was consciously doing you could do more than get this kid stick tape. Or if your concern was really about getting stick tape, you wouldn't have had to bend the rules to do that. Yeah. Like yeah. talk to another parent or like do it on the side. I don't. And then he uses this as his whole excuse for hating hockey, which to me was even more unbelievable. Like it wasn't hockey's fault. Right. But no, I agree. The whole classist aspect of this show is fascinating because I feel like it's very different from the original which also Mm -hmm. has there was also class commentary to be made Um, to a certain extent it's class commentary on a narrower margin because I feel like it's very clear that everybody in this show is in the middle class right whereas I think in the original movies it was much more like a working class versus upper middle class kind of battle
0: It's been so long since I've seen it, but I think that's right.
1: Because the whole thing is that they have to get like corporate sponsorship for their little ragtag team who at the beginning, they're playing with like newspapers as pads. It's like, and they're playing on a pond. I don't even think they have like an ice rink to practice at. So it's a little bit different. And I kind of missed that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, The rink, though, that Gordon Pompey owns and is trying to keep afloat with the like found parks and rec budget money for youth sports that Alex dug up is a dump (laughs) it is a dump that's true I compared to the mighty ducks fancy arena
1: yes this, I think, was in the second episode, but they get all of their equipment from the lost and found locker <laughs> at the Mighty Ducks sports complex, which was a far cry from that really fun scene in the original movie where they all skate through the Mall of America.
0: Oh, gosh, I have to rewatch the original. I feel Forgot like that about was that. such
1: an iconic, like, 90s mall moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so obviously we've already kind of moved on to our original thoughts, but just top line, reboots are always hit or miss. Did you like this?
0: I loved it. For me, this was a super hit.
1: Yeah, agreed. This one was a real hit. Uh, What was your experience with the original Mighty Ducks? It's been a long time since you've seen it. Did you see it and like it as a kid? I
0: remember watching it. I don't think I was a super fan. My brother played hockey and so I think he was a little more into it. I did have a good friend who got really into the movies and she wrote a fan fiction novel that was like a sequel to The Mighty Ducks and it was like it was like 200 pages long and I remember I think she wrote it in the summer and then I like took it home and I read it and I wrote like copious editing notes for her like I was actually a bookhead. I like I was she was pretending to be a novelist. I was pretending to be a book editor. <laughs> so I think I remember her version of the sequel more than I remember the
1: original. I love everything about that interaction. <laughs> Honestly, of the three Mighty Ducks movies, I think the second one is the one that I remember the least. So I would be happy to fill in that hole with a 200-page novel about what happened after the original Mighty Ducks. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. How did you feel about the overall message that sports should be fun and not competitive? Did it stress you out at all? I
0: didn't really grow up playing sports that wasn't my thing you know I was an orchestra kid so to me it seems silly to take sports as seriously as they are taken because I just don't identify with that world so I I totally identify with Alex who's like she doesn't even care if they skate she just wants (laughs) to build like A team that gets
1: along together. Right. She wants a club, essentially. She doesn't really want a sports team. Right, right, right. I find myself very preoccupied by sports and my children in a way that I didn't intend to be uh, because I also was not a sports kid growing up. But I find that that means that the prospect of sports for my kids stresses me out a lot more because I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because I don't know how it's supposed to work. Mm. And I feel like a little bit of that is because I didn't do sports growing up. And a little bit of that is because I have boys. And I feel like I have some uh, internalized gender expectations that they will do sports. And it just stresses me out to think like, I want to give them all those opportunities, but I'm not 100% sure how.
0: Yeah, that's hard. Um, I have signed my kids up for all kinds of very casual parks and rec six week classes or leagues that are just not serious. And I know a lot of people take sports way more seriously than I do. And at one point, a parent was telling me about their child's sport. And she was like, well, this is the age that they choose. And I was like, oh my God, my kids aren't going to be good at sports.
1: I know. worry all the time, even though I know it's ultimately not that important.
0: I mean, just like Alex says, like the chance of them being a professional is nil. The chance of them even playing at like the division one level in college is really, really slim.
1: I know, but just like Sophie's parents, I really just want them to get into a good college. So I don't care if they're actually good at the sport. I just need them to be on teams so they can go on their resume and they can eventually get into college someday. I can't believe I'm talking about this. My kids are five and two and I'm one of those moms all of a sudden. Judith
0: Marner would tell you to calm down. I know. (laughs) I (laughs) know. I think it hurt. So she's the one who wrote the New York Times article we read. She has a book called Parenting in the Age of
1: Anxiety. I need to read this. <laughs> <laughs> because I am constantly parenting from a state of anxiety. And <laughs> honestly, it's not good for me. It's not good for my kids. It's a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we move on to the cast and characters?
0: Sure. So I mentioned Laura Lauren Graham earlier, and I just want to point out that she has aged and she's a beautiful woman she still looks really good she's probably had some stuff done to her brow area but she looks her age in a way that other actresses her age don't and I really love that about her
1: agreed she does not look like Lorelai Gilmore and that's a good thing yeah that was like 20 years ago I know again we're old So her son, Evan Morrow, is played by this actor called Brady Noon, who had a long running gig as Tommy Darmody on Boardwalk Empire. You watch that show, right? Yeah, um, he's a lot older, but that's cute. (laughs) It's weird to think that he's like already had a long career on another show before this one. Right. (laughs) So talk to me about Emilio Estevez. In my head... This is where we will discover a Gen X elder millennial divide. Because to me, Emilio Estevez in Mighty Ducks is Emilio Estevez's iconic role. But I feel like for Gen Xers, it's got to be like the Brat Pack stuff, right? Like Breakfast Club? I think, yeah, for me, I think
0: about the Breakfast Club when I think about his early career, for sure.
1: The fact that he has these two distinct eras made me think that he was a lot older than he was because at first when it became clear that they're obviously setting up Lauren Graham and Emilio Estevez to have some sort of relationship, right? I was like, ew, he's got to be so much older. But then I looked up their ages and there's only a five-year age difference between them. He must have done Breakfast Club when he was really young. And I think he was still really young when he did the Mighty Ducks. I think he was only like 30 years old. Okay. Okay which was weird like such a dad then yeah are you having a Tom Hanks moment I am (laughs) we are both solidly older than Emilio Estevez was when he did the first Mighty Ducks movie (laughs) (laughs) when I first heard his voice in the pilot I could not believe how much he sounded like his father I was like President Bartlett his boy, as he has aged, he sounds more and more like him. And I think he looks more and more like him, too.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. He looks a lot like Martin Sheen. Um, I loved the kid who played the goalie. <laughs> he was really good. I didn't recognize him from anything else, though.
1: I do not understand. They have already proven that he is crazy coordinated. He can catch like anything that's thrown at him. But that does not translate onto the ice at all. I know.
0: We'll have to keep watching to see when he grows into that role of goalie.
1: Yeah. Spoiler alert. We're probably going to finish watching this. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think it was smart to make this a television show as opposed to a rebooted movie?
0: I think there's plenty of material to make it a series. For sure. How do you feel about the weekly releases on streaming platforms? This is honestly the first one that I've watched where not all the episodes are out yet. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another show that I had to like wait to watch. I know.
1: It's weird to have kind of this return to a traditional TV format where you have to wait week to week. We've been watching uh, WandaVision and now Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which. We have to watch week to week. And it is kind of annoying. It's just you're not familiar with that anymore. Yeah, we
0: waited long enough to start WandaVision that
1: we could watch
0: like an episode a night for a week and be done with the whole thing.
1: I would be curious to see numbers wise who does that and who watches it as it comes out. I don't know if Disney releases any of that. They probably don't.
0: (laughs) Not to the public.
1: So, do you think TV can motivate our kids to play sports? Because obviously, I can't just motivate my kids to play sports. That's a good question. Do you want
0: to talk about the Keith Gesson article?
1: Oh my gosh, it was so good, you guys. Deborah sent me this awesome feature article from the New York Times on March 16th, and it was this just beautiful exploration of what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a father with a son, a father who loves sports with a son that doesn't necessarily love sports. It was just a really gripping, great read.
0: Yeah, I don't know what you can do to force your kids to like (laughs) something. I don't think it's possible. I mean, I think you can expose them. You can model. You can Sign them up for classes, but I don't think anything's going to make them love a sport mm-hmm. or a musical instrument or vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> if they're anything at all like my kids who are pretty sure of themselves and they know what they like and don't like.
1: Come on, Deborah, not even a uh, half waffle, half Yeti. <laughs> If they can't make my kids eat vegetables, I don't know who can.
0: Now, I would be curious, you mentioned NASCAR. Like, does Kevin watch NASCAR at home? Are the boys allowed
1: to watch? or Are they encouraged to watch? Yeah, they are. But uh, the thing with NASCAR races is they're really long. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of more of an ambient TV situation than it is like an active, okay, kids, sit down. Here are the rules. Here are the players. They don't really get explanations like that.
0: Yeah. I'm going to say just from my anecdotal experience, TV cannot motivate kids to play sports. I mean, sports were on in my house a lot when I was a kid. And I took, I still don't know the rules to football. Yeah. And Jeremy watches sports, not excessively, but my kids have, the only one who's taken an interest is Nate.
1: And I think I love your example of your friend, watching the mighty ducks and like instead of watching this movie and being inspired to play hockey she was still gonna be herself and like it inspired her to write a novel and that's wonderful. kids (laughs) are still gonna be themselves (laughs) so were you able to compare this to any movie or tv show for grown-ups
0: i feel like i actively avoid sports content so that
1: was a tough one really tough i love inspirational sports movies it's one of my favorite movie genres but I feel like they're so rarely for grown-ups. They're, they're mostly all family films so I kind of lumped them as kids movies and the only one I could think of that would like probably not be that interesting to young kids is The Cutting Edge.
0: Do you remember oh, that Oh I one? did like that one. Yeah. It's a
1: great rom-com about figure skating. I would like to revisit that for sure. Did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? I thought that casting for this was so perfect
0: it's hard to mess with it but then I thought what do I middle-aged lady who never played sports what do I want to watch and so I thought what if there's a show or a movie about a bunch of middle-aged ladies who never played sports forming their own scrappy women's hockey league and I would love to see just like the cast of Oceans 8. Try to play hockey or broomball or something silly that's going to be have a lot of physical comedy.
1: I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> Mine is not nearly as fun. I figured since it's an HBO reboot, it has to be about like a kids hockey team as a cover for like laundering drug money or something, right? Oh, I would watch that. So... <laughs> The Showtime series Shameless is ending, so I figured we could use, oh gosh, the actress's name is Shanola Hampton. She plays Veronica in Shameless. We could use her as the mother character because she can be funny in a drama, which I feel like would be an important line to walk on this gritty show. And then I thought, who could be our Gordon Bombay character? Who could like intensely, overly intensely commit? to a role with extremely murky motivation and also be kind of intimidating so I thought maybe it's time for Christian Bale to do TV oh (laughs) I like it all right there we go breaking bad on ice breaking bad on ice (laughs) (laughs) do you think it was better when we were kids this
0: might be an unpopular opinion amongst Mighty Ducks loyalists, but I think this is just as good as the movie.
1: I think there's a reason inspirational stort- sports movies about the underdog are always popular. It doesn't really age and like the same formula still works.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
1: Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily?
0: Yeah, if my family won't watch it with me, I've been telling Jeremy how good it is. My friend Amy, friend of the pod, she told me how good it was. And it turns out she's been watching it by herself, <laughs> not with her kids. <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely want to finish this.
1: How about you? Just because of the way timing worked out for preparing for this episode, I watched the first two episodes with my family and then I had to watch the third episode, like, in my car while Jay was at dance class last night. <laughs> and Kevin's reaction was, Aw. oh, <laughs> He really wanted to keep watching it. Cute. Ten seconds on whether this is good for our kids. I think it is. My kids are a bit young, but I think this is a solid watch that the whole family can enjoy together. Mm-hmm. Totally. Ratings? Five. <laughs> I have to give it a 4.5 just because... Gordon's confusing motivation really got to me, but it was so much fun to watch you guys. So fun. Well, thank you for listening
0: to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Yeah. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies yeah. and TV screen beloved time. by kids screen and tolerated by parents. By Bye. Time. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. My screen time.